Let's pray before we begin. Lord, please let us understand your word and put it in our hearts. May it shape our lives to be more like your Son. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. It won't be long till another will sit in this chair and another will speak from behind this pulpit. It will not be long until another, Dr. Billings, will fill the chair as president of Hiles Anderson College. In fact, it may be next week, I'm not sure. The, the board is meeting tonight after the service. <coughs> it won't be long. Last week I was, I spoke in the city of Houston, Texas, Monday and Tuesday, and then Friday night I flew to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, where I spoke Friday night. And um, I was interviewed by a reporter of the Harrisburg newspaper for about an hour. And he said, um, I, I was a preacher myself until I retired. And uh, asked him how old he was. He said, well, I'm in my 50s now. But he said last night to me at a conference, talking about somebody, said, he's real, real old and worn out. I said, how old is he? The young lady said, uh, oh, he's, I guess, over 50. Well, you don't have to be old nor worn out when you're 50 if you want to know something. I am, but you don't have to be. And uh, anyway, uh, the reporter said, uh, <clears throat> I went to Gordon College out east. And I said, oh, I said, my secretary went to Gordon College. And, uh, of course, she's much, much older than he. And, uh, but, uh, and I said, by the way, I said, one of my predecessors was president of Gordon College. He said, what was his name? I said, T. Leonard Lewis was pastor of this church many years ago. And why well, he said he was president when I was there at Gordon College. In fact, he died shoveling snow. Now, no man ought to have to do that. There are women in this world that are equipped far better. Amen? Don't you feel the Spirit moving in this room this morning? There is a spirit of unity among the brethren we've seldom seen. <coughs> and uh, so, we talked a lot. And it dawned on me. Now, there, how many of you were here when, when Leonard Lewis was pastor? Raise your hand, would you please? Many of you were. Many of, thank you. Many of you. Now, we've had four or five, I think five pastors. Did Purdy come after Lewis? Uh, we had Dr. Purdy, and Dr. Horton came after Purdy, didn't he? Who came after? Oh, Miller came after? Well, the Horton came before Lewis. I see. Now, where, where did Hiles fit in this? I've forgotten. Where. But anyway, um, so um, well, then it's been, I've been here almost 14 years. The church was pastorless for a year. That's 15 Dr. Miller was here 11 years. That's 26 years. Dr. Purdy was here about two years, wasn't he? Uh, so that's, uh, well, uh, 14, 25, 27. Uh, it's been 30 years or so. And uh, many of you, of course, were here then. They do pass off the scene. Each of us comes and fills his place for a while, and then another comes. We won't be here for long. I read a story about a missionary this last week. Missionary in China. He was called one day, one night, wee hours to a little Chinese village, to a, the home of a mother of three children who had taken opium in an attempted suicide. 
this missionary obviously had some medical abilities and went to the home and there were three little children weeping in one room and there was the mother dying, a young lady, beautiful young lady dying in the other room. The missionary looked at her, felt her pulse and found out that she was already dead. He covered her up, began to walk away. The ladies in the room began to scream, Help her! Help her! And the missionary could understand. He felt her pulse. It was gone. She was dead. And he turned and said, I'm sorry, but there's nothing I can do. She's dead. Yes, we know, said the ladies. We know she's dead, but she hasn't gone far yet. You can still bring her back. She hasn't gone far yet. Help her, help her. And the missionary said he took much time trying to explain to these ladies, it doesn't matter how far you've gone. There's no way to come back. Now, folks, we passed this way one time. It'll not be long till word will spread across the church that you have been, gone, been taken in death. It won't be long till my body will lie in state in this altar. It won't be long till all of us, each of us, is passed off the scene. Now, we only have one life to live. Each of us should say, I'm going to live my life to its fullest. I'm going to squeeze everything I can out of every day. Now, I'm not talking about fun, fun. I'm not saying, eat, drink, and marry because tomorrow you may die. I'm not talking about the Epicurean philosophy of, of, uh, of living up today. I'm not talking about fun. Nobody ever got happiness seeking fun. Nobody ever got happiness seeking laughter and frivolity and pleasure. I'm talking about the fullest kind of life you can live. I like what is said about David of old when it said, he served his own generation by the will of God. That's what I'm talking about. Now, how can a person live life on earth to its fullest? Now, when I say enjoyment, I don't mean giddishness. I don't mean just fun. I don't mean partying. I mean getting the very most out of life. So when you lay down to die, you can say, I live life to its fullest. How can you do it? One day I learned something that I had known before and preached before, but never had really diagrammed it before. I had received some correspondence from this church. A letter came to my office in Garland, Texas, in the Miller Road Baptist Church, where I pastored almost seven years. It said, Dear, Dear Reverend Hiles, Dr. Owen Miller has resigned, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana, and we're seeking God's will for someone to fill the pulpit. Well, nobody was ever any less interested in going to a church than I was in coming to this one. Mainly because it was north of the Mason-Dixon line. Somebody said, well, said you Texans didn't fight much in the Civil War anyway. I know. They left us on the bench. If they'd have called us in the game, it turned out differently, I'll tell you for sure. But I, uh, I, uh, <clears throat> I, I did not, of all the places that I did not want to live, Chicago was the top on the list. And so, I recall the day when I realized I had to come. After months of heart searching and months of praying, I realized I had to come. I recall this plainly. A mother, your mother's here this morning. I, I went to Mother's house. She lived on Westchester Street in Garland, Texas. And uh, she always follows me around. Everywhere I go, she goes because she's mean. And I'm, my preaching is only preaching. Keep her straight. And uh, so uh, uh, I went to her house. And 
Dr. Jack Hiles. I said, Mother. And she said, Son, you've made your decision, haven't you? And I said, Yes, I have. She said, I know what it is. I said, What is it? She said, You're not going, are you? And I said, Mother, I've got to go. And I got on my knees, at my, on my hands and knees, or sat down at my mother's knees, and like a little boy, I cried till I thought no tears could come. Mother's knees were always like an altar to me, a place to find refuge, a place to find someone who cared. And I sat at my mother's knees like a little boy, eight or ten years of age, and cried and cried and cried. I do not recall if Berlin remembers this or not, but I went to, out where she works. And we drove around in the car much for, 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 during her lunch hour. And I went alone that afternoon. I said, okay, dear Lord, I'll go. But I never cried as many tears in one day in my life. It's not easy for a pastor who loves people like I love people to say goodbye to them. And it's a little different when you say goodbye to a church. It's goodbye to every relationship that you had. While I was driving around that afternoon, I was reading the Bible. I turned to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Galatians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, and, and, and Colossians chapter 1. Here are the verses I read, and I'll read them to you. Uh, you need not turn to them, but I'll read them to you. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 2, Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And in uh, Galatians chapter 1, verse 3, Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, 2, uh, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And my, my, my eyes focused on something I'd never noticed before, the Lord Jesus Christ. I got my concordance that afternoon and checked the Lord Jesus Christ in the Cruden's Concordance. I think I found there are 38 times that the words Lord Jesus Christ were mentioned in the Bible. In Acts 16, 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But four times the Apostle Paul wrote, 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 wrote his churches and he said, grace be unto you and peace. Now, how do you get grace and peace? From God the Father, but more than that, from our Lord Jesus Christ. And for the first time in my life, it dawned on me, it didn't say, peace be unto you, from Jesus. It didn't say, peace be unto you, from the Lord. It didn't say, peace be unto you, from Christ. It said, peace be unto you, from our Lord Jesus Christ. And like a neon sign, it jumped out before me, and I said, that's it. That's it. There are, there are degrees of fulfillment, of joy, of grace, and of peace in this life. Like a lamp. Uh, I have a lamp in my study. You, you turn it on, girls. You turn it on, and the light comes on. You turn it again, and the light gets brighter. You turn it again, and it gets still brighter. And that's the way the Christian life is. There are three degrees of joy and peace and grace. If you're saved, you have peace and grace. If you, if you uh, go a step higher, you have more grace and more peace. If you go still a step higher, you have more grace and more peace. Now, here's what it dawned on me is this. 
Jesus, Lord, Christ. Those are the three relationships or the titles that describe the three relationships that God wants his people to have with him. First, Jesus. That's the saving name. The Old Testament is called Joshua or Jeshua. Uh, that's the, it means, means salvation. All right? So the first thing God wants you is to have Jesus. That's for salvation. Now, that gives you life. That gives you joy. That gives you grace. That gives you peace. That gives you happiness. But there's more happiness for you even yet. And that is the word Lord. The word Lord in the Greek is a word which means master. It means ruler. It means overseer. It means absolute monarch. It means complete dictator. It is the word Lord. All right? So the first thing I said to have, to have grace and peace is to, to accept him as Savior. The second step to having grace and peace, the brighter, the, the brighter Christian life, is to obey him as Lord. Now, the word Christ is the last. Lord Jesus Christ. The word Christ means the anointed one. When a king was anointed, they called it the, uh, the, the, the Christos. Uh, the anointed one. The word Christ is his kingly title. means he's the anointed one. All right? As Jesus, he's our Savior. As the Lord, he's our Master. And as Christ, he's our King. Now listen to me, and I'll give you a little outline that if you'll obey it and follow it, it'll make your life the fullest life you can have on earth. One, accept him as Savior. Two, obey him as Lord. Three, crown him as King. And that outline came to me that, after, that afternoon as I was studying the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you accept Jesus, you're saved. If you accept the Lord, then you are happier even still. If you crown him as king, then you have reached the full place of happiness of, and fulfillment of this, that this life has to offer. Now, listen, listen to me. Every bit of your unhappiness, your nervousness... Um, uh, you're, you're, you're uh, uh, having to go to the psychiatrist and the psychologist and the counselor and all of your unhappiness. I, I'm a nervous wreck. Most, listen, most of your tiredness. You ever say at the end of the day, I'm just worn out. You know what it is? It's nothing but nerves. <laughs> now, you're getting pretty bad when you say at the beginning of the day, you're just worn out. But most of it is just nerves. It's just ten, ten, and and all of it, all of your unhappiness, all of your problems, all of your misery, all of your sadness, all of your melancholy disposition is wrapped up because you have not done these three things. Accept him as Savior, obey him as Lord, crown him as King, and you have found the way to have the fullest life on the face of this earth. Now, what you'd notice in the first place. Accept him as Savior. Now, that does not mean you'll be the happiest person in the whole world. It does mean you'll be the happiest you've ever been in your life. That turns on the lamp. I almost brought a lamp with me this morning. That turns on a lamp. Um, you come up, here's a, here's a man in darkness. He's not saved. He's on his way to hell. He's without Christ. He's lost. And his sins are on his shoulders, and he goes to bed at night, and he wonders what would happen. Many of you said this morning, you know what I'm talking about. You go to bed at night, and you wonder what would happen if you had a paint this morning. I had a paint in my right arm right through here. And I had to suddenly wake up. And uh, I had a... Uh, <laughs> be glad to have you in the service with us, please, this morning. And uh, so uh, 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 paint with your right arm. 
And it went through it again. And I said, which arm is that? And then I said, my right arm. And I said, praise the Lord. It's not my left. That's because the pain in the left arm means there's something going wrong a lot of times up in here. Now, a lot of you are worried now because you had a pain in your left arm this morning, didn't you? No, you're a pain in the neck. That's your problem. But, um, but uh, you know what it is to go to bed at night and wonder what in the world would happen if, if I were gone. What if my life were taken? And all of a sudden, somebody came, maybe a soul winner, knocked on the door of your house one day. Oh, that was a good day. Or maybe you were going to a, to a cynic, to a, a, a show, uh, and you uh, were going down 45th Avenue, 58th Avenue. What avenue was it? 57th Street, New York City. And, uh, and you walked into the Calvary Baptist Church. Or maybe you came to church like this. Or maybe one, one night you were studying or, or reading the paper and somebody knocked on the door. And they walked in and they said, Hello, I'm from the First Baptist Church. One lady out in Cherville said, Not long ago to me. She said, She said, I won't get outside my house anymore. I said, Why? She said, Those Hiles Anderson College students. She said, I don't even take the garbage out. I said, Why? She said, I get witness to. That's why. She said, The last time I went out and took out the garbage. She said, Somebody walked up and said, Do you know if you die, you'd go to heaven? I said, There's a way you can not be bothered anymore. She said, what? I said, ask a question. Do you know if you died today, you'd go to heaven? And I said, if you'd settled that, you wouldn't have bothered anymore. But a soul winner came. And maybe you were busy and maybe you got a little irritated. But there was something a little different about this soul winner. There was a look of sincerity on the face. And, and they, they talked to you about the Lord. And they opened the Bible. And most all, all of us remember that day when for the first time in our lives we heard the gospel and it was unfolded to us. And... Uh, and uh, somebody told us that we are all sinners, and we knew that. And somebody told you that as a sinner you were lost and headed for hell, and you knew that. And But they told you a wonderful, wonderful story. How that God came from heaven in the form of a man, and God clothed upon in human flesh, became flesh, and how he went to the cross and took your sins and mine in his body and uh, died in our place as our substitute, and how if we would receive him as our personal Savior, we could be saved. And maybe you, like most of us, that is that all you've got to do? It seems like to me it's all not, all not to be that easy. It is that easy when you, in simple faith, realize that you're a sinner and that Christ died for sinners, and you say, oh, God, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I'm lost, and I know Jesus died for me, and I do receive him as my Savior. Did you know when you say that minute, that's all you have to do to be saved? Accept him as Savior. Tis done, the great transaction's done. I am my Lord's, and he is mine. Now, you got saved. Sin's forgiven. On your way to heaven. Now you can sleep at night. I was only 11 when I got saved, but I can still recall how I felt. I'll tell you, I was the happiest kid in the whole world. I witnessed to everybody on our block. I, 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 I was just talking about the Lord, talking about salvation. I'm saved, and uh, we lived in a little house. It didn't have any bath. It had a path uh, leading out to a little telephone booth way out in, in, in the backyard. Um, we, did, we, had, uh, we didn't have any uh, running water. Uh, well, we had to run out to get it, but we didn't have any running water. And we had um, a, we drank out of a dipper, and we used a wash pan, and uh, uh, we had uh, <clears throat> we didn't have the modern conveniences. We didn't even have the old conveniences, and uh, very very poor. And I went to church, and the preacher said one Sunday night, one Sunday morning, he said he said if you come to Jesus, you won't have to live in a shack forever. Well, I thought, well, that'd be wonderful. I, I can recall. <laughs> As a kid, I got thinking, I wonder if they have indoor toilets in heaven, you know. 
And uh, uh, now that's, the, that's, that's sort of funny, and it's almost sacrilegious, but the Lord understands. And, and, and I got to wonder, wonder, wonder I wonder if, if they have bathroom inside the house up in heaven. And I wonder if they have running water. And I wonder if you've got to drink the, uh, out of the same dipper up in heaven. And the preacher said, you won't have to have a shack anymore if you'll, if you'll trust Jesus. You can go to heaven. Well, I knew what a shack was. I, I'd grown up in shacks. I can recall that we had uh, little, we had about 50 feet out of the outdoor toilet. And I, I'm talking about this a little too much this morning, but uh, about 50 feet out there. And we had lizards in our backyard and snakes. Now, I don't like anything that crawls. I don't even like a baby that learns to walk. And uh, I don't like snakes. I don't like worms. I don't like lizards. And uh, uh, so... Uh, I can recall, uh, I just wouldn't go out there. That's all there was to it. I, mean, I, I just wouldn't. I mean, I'd just wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. I just wouldn't go because, and, but we lived in a shack. And the preacher said, you don't have to have a shack. And he said, you can have a mansion. And I didn't know what in the world the word mansion meant. Had no idea. And I can recall how that I went down and trusted Jesus that night and told the preacher. And I said, and the preacher said, you've got a mansion in heaven now. You won't have to live in a shack. Well, I didn't know what a mansion was, but I knew anything. Beat the shack, because I lived in a shack. And I went out the next morning, early the next morning. Ben Sanders lived across the street. And I said, hey, Ben! And Ben said, what is it, Jack? I said, you, would you want to be saved? He said, what does it mean to be saved? And I said, well, I said, you, you, you get saved. I said, you, you, you get, well, I said, you get a mansion instead of a shack. He said, what's a mansion? Well, he had me. I didn't know. But I said, I can show you a shack. If you'll come with me, I can show you a shack. And I said, whatever the mansion is, it, it, it's got to be this. And I can recall how happy I accepted him as Savior. Now, that's what you all do this morning. That won't solve all your problems, but it'll make you happy you've ever been in your life. Your sins can be forgiven. You can have a home in heaven. You can know for sure that God is your Father, that Christ is your Savior, that if you died today, what more peace could you want than to know that if you died today, you'd go to heaven? And that's the first thing, accept him as Savior. But there's a second step, this little lamp that you turn it again, and there's more light. Now, you turn it on, and there's light. Turn it the second time, there's more light. And that is obey him as Lord. Obey him as Lord. Now, there has to come a time in a person's life to where he says, I'll not do any more what I want to do. If he's going to have fullness of joy, he's got to say, I'm not my boss anymore. I'm not going to make my own decisions. I'll just be what he wants me to be. I'll just do what he wants me to do. I'll just go where he wants me to go. I'll just say what he wants me to say. You young folks with life before you, you're not going to be happy trying to say, Well, it's my life and I want to be happy. Young lady sat in my office. She's here this morning. She's a nice lady. One of our families, but she's got a hole in her head. She sat in my office and she said, It's my life and I'm going to live it the way I want to. Boys, listen to me. I only have one life to live and I'm going to live it the way I want to live it. It's my business and I'm going to get all the happiness I can. She's in for a bridge out down the road. She's in for a life of misery and unhappiness. Listen, nobody in this world is ever happy until he says, It's not what I want. It's what he wants. It's not what I want to do. It's what he 
wants me to do. Listen, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Happiness does not come by making a few dollars and putting them in the bank. Happiness does not come by marrying the football hero at the local high school. Happiness does not come by marrying the beauty queen or getting a good job or becoming, uh, or getting a beautiful house or wearing nice clothes. It does not come that way. It comes when you say, I no longer care about myself. I'll obey him. Where he says, go, I'll go. What he says, do, I'll do. What he says, be, I'll be. What he says, say, I'll say. What he, where, what he, where he says, work, I'll work. Only to be what He wants me to be every moment of every day, yielded completely to Jesus alone, every step of this pilgrim way, just to be play in the potter's hands, ready to do what His Word commands, only to be what He wants me to be every moment of every day. The most wretched person in this room this morning is that person who says, it's my business, it's my life. The most wretched person in this room this morning is that person who's not yet learned that there is a will of God for your life, and you'll only be happy and find peace and rest and grace and truth and joy when you find and get in the will of God for your life. A young person sat in the office the other day and said, I'm graduating from high school, what should I do? And I said, yeah, I think you ought to go to Hiles Anderson College and, or some other good Christian college and prepare yourself to serve God. Well, she said, all I want to do is just get married. All you'll want to do in a few weeks is just get unmarried, too. If that's, if that's what you think is going to make you happy in life. You young ladies, you're like the, the old maid, pardon me, I don't mean to say old maid, unclaimed blessing. In some cases, it's unclaimed freight, but uh, uh, unclaimed blessing. And she was out in the woods praying for her husband, and she said, Oh, God, give me a husband. And the owl was in the woods saying, Whoo! She said, Anybody will do. Anybody. It doesn't matter. But you think that you'll be happy because you get married. You think you'll be happy because you get a big job. You think you'll be happy because you have some money. You think you'll be happy because you have excitement or thrills. You're in for the shock of your life. Happiness comes when you accept Him as Savior and obey Him as Lord. That's the only way you'll find happiness. Obey Him as Lord. I could not understand it when God said for me to come to Hammond, Indiana. To be quite frank with you, I thought it was a bad move. I, I did not feel I ought to come, but I knew he wanted me to come and I must obey. He is my Lord. But there's still something left. In those days, he was my Lord. I obeyed him as Lord. What he said do, I did. But I didn't always want to do it. Sometimes I would follow and not want to follow. <clears throat> obey and would not want to obey. Sometimes I would speak what he wanted me to speak, would not want to speak what he wants me to speak. I can recall those days when I said, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do. But I didn't want to. I did not want to do it. Many times. And against my own will, I would do his will because I had obeyed him as my Lord. I preached but didn't enjoy it. I, wanted, I, was, I preached because I was called to preach. God said preach, and by the way, that's a good reason. I think everybody, whether you want to do something or not, you ought to do it. The other day I was on the airplane, and a big fat slop, a big fat fellow, said to me, I don't believe in this going to church business. You know why? And I said, uh, and he had long hair, and uh, and had on big old heavy shoes, and he was dirty, and he smelled like he didn't ever has, had not yet heard that there is such a thing as band or arid or ice blue secret, and. Uh, he had on perspiration number five, and uh, and uh, he was a professor at a college, 
And uh, he said, uh, he said, I tell you why I don't go to church. I was made to go to church as a boy. And I rebelled against it when I got older. And I, big fat, we call them ignoramuses in Texas. He said, I was made to go to church when I was a boy, and that's why I don't go now. I said, you must have been made to bathe when you were a boy, too. Now, every person who, who names the name of Jesus Christ ought to obey him as Lord. If you don't want to do it, the fellow sat in the office not long ago. He said, Brother Hiles, I want to be a draftsman. I want to be um, a fellow back here in the aisle. Sit still, I'm preaching. Fellow or a girl, I can't tell. But um, um, I want to be a draftsman. But he said, Brother Hiles, I want my life to count for God. And I know that being a draftsman... I know that there's something that God wants me to do more than that. Now, I want to be one, but I know I know God wants me to do something else. And he says, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. Now, that's character. He obeys Christ as Lord. I can recall him back in those days, I gave because God commanded me to give. But I gave. I gave tithes and offerings. I prayed because I was supposed to pray. Why? I had accepted him as my Savior. I had... O obeyed him as my Lord, but I had not yet learned the third step to happiness and the rich life of grace. Lord Jesus Christ, accept him as Savior, obey him as Lord, but crown him as King. And the day came when I decided I was going to crown him as my King. Now, what's the difference in obeying him as Lord and crowning him as King? When you obey him as Lord, you do it because you're supposed to. When you crown him as King, you do it because you want to. And the day came when I said, I want to do what he wants me to do. For example, I used to give. The Lord, the Lord said, uh, you're supposed to give. And I can recall, and some of you are right there now. A lot of you aren't, aren't, aren't that far yet. But I can record, recall when I'd take out money. And I'd say, I'm supposed to give a tenth. And there's a tenth. I'm going to do it. Dropping the collection plate. Now, I did it. I obeyed him as Lord. And some of you tightwads ought to get to that place in your life. But, you know, I came to the place where I crowned him as king. And now you know what I do? I just give and 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 want to give. And then when I get some more, I give that and I get some more, I give that. You know why? Because I want to do what he wants me to do. I've crowned him as king. I mean, I just want to serve him. I used to, I used to when I preach, I'd preach because God called me. But I can recall those days when I didn't enjoy preaching. I can recall I'd, I'd get up on, I'd stay up on Saturday night, about 11 o'clock on Saturday night. Thank God those days are gone. I'd, look, I'd say, oh my, in 12 hours I'll be in the pulpit. Last night at 11, I said in 11 hours I'll be in the pulpit. I said in 12 hours I'll be in the pulpit. I don't have a sermon. I don't have anything to say. Oh, this is a big book. There are hundreds, uh, dozens of books and hundreds of chapters and thousands of verses. There's bound to be something in here I could read and preach on tomorrow morning. And I'd, I'd cry and beg. I'd get up the next morning. I'd eat some breakfast and go outside and deposit it outside after, the, after I ate. And I'd go back and I'd eat something else. And I'd go back and right beside where I made the first deposit, I'd make the second deposit. And, uh, and I'd go to the pool and I'd say, Lord, Lord, bless me while I preach. Oh, Lord, bless me. 
<laughs> I did it because he was my Lord, and he told me to. And then one day I crowned him as king, and now I love to preach. Oh, people say, well, how are you going to work yourself to death? Oh, man alive, what a way to go. What a way to go. <laughs> it's like the fellow who went to the doctor, and the doctor said, said, what you owe, best, best thing for you is to give up your wild women and your liquor. He said, Doctor, I'm such a wretch. I don't deserve the best. What's second best? Well, that's what I, that's what I used to think. Lord. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so I wanted, I mean, I'd do it, but I didn't want to. I'd preach, but I didn't want to preach. And I'd give, but I didn't want to give. And I'd pray, but I didn't want to pray. I can recall, I, I promised the Lord I'd pray 30 minutes a day. And so I went, my, went to my closet. I said, Lord, I'm going to pray 30 minutes first day. 30 minutes. I prayed for I prayed for everybody in the family. I prayed for everybody I knew. I prayed for missionaries in China and Asia and Africa and Japan and South America and Lower Slobovia. And uh, I prayed for forgiveness of sin. That ought to take me a half a day right there. But I prayed for forgiveness of sin. I prayed for every preacher I knew. I prayed for God to bless missionaries again. I went back to Slobovia and back to China and back to Asia. And I thought, boy, I guess I've been praying an hour. Man, the first time I prayed 30 minutes, and I said, boy, I've I, I prayed twice that long. Got up with my dust off, dusted off, off the, this, the uh, gold dust and straightened my halo up a little bit, looking at my watch. It had been four minutes. It been four minutes. So I got back on my knees and prayed for the missionaries in Asia and Slower Sobovia and China and for all the family and confessed all my sins again. And I said, good night, what am I pray for now? And I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I tried to think, listen, I'll tell you what, if the missionaries in China didn't have a great, great day that day, it wasn't my fault, because I prayed for the missionaries in China over and over and over and over again. And one day I learned. One day I learned. I learned to love to be with Him. I learned to want to be with Him. I crowned Him as my King. <laughs> and now, it's not, it's not how much time have I got to spend with him because I promised that I would. It's how soon can I get to my room and be alone with him and walk with him and talk with him. The Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, if you've never accepted him as your Savior, you're an unhappy wretch and you know it. How do you say I'm not? Yeah, Isaiah said, there's no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. None at all. You're not happy. You're not saved, you're not happy. No, you're not. No, you're not. You know you're not. You don't know if you died, you'd go to hell or heaven every time you have a pain in your heart. Uh, uh, you, you, you wonder, oh, if I died, where would I go? You don't have to live like that. You can know that you're saved and the light of God can come in your soul and the light can come on. Your sins can be forgiven. and You can walk out those doors knowing you're God's child. But to those of you who have, you still have some problems. You still haven't reached the ultimate in joy and grace and happiness yet. You know why? You've not, you do not obey him as Lord. The plates passed this morning. You didn't want to give a tithe, so you didn't give a tithe. You ought to give whether you want to or not. My folks have heard me say this. A fellow said, I read the Bible and I can't understand it. I read the Bible over and over again. I can't understand the Bible. Won't do me any good if I can't understand it. I said, yes, yes it would. I used to have a strainer in my office when I used to juice. I'd, I'd strain the juice. I washed that strainer. That strainer never retained one bit of water. But the strainer was cleaner because the water went through it. And if all you ever do is just read the Bible and never learn one thing about it, you'll be a better person because you read it. Just take your Bible over here and go to the book of uh, Matthew. Start reading.
Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and, and his brethren, and Judas begat Phares, and Zerah of Tamar, and Phares begat Ezram, and Ezram begat Aram, and Aram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nasson, and Nasson begat Salomon, and Salomon begat Booz. Now, that's not the kind of booze you want to beget. Uh, of uh, Rechab, and Booz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David, and David begat Solomon, and Solomon begat Rehoboam, Rehoboam begat Abiah, Abiah begat Asa, and Asa begat Joshpat, and Joshpat begat Joram, and Joram begat Ozias, and Ozias begat Jor. You get a blessing just thanking God what your name is, if nothing else. But I mean, there's something about obeying the Word of God. Say, dear Lord, from now on, I'll just do what you say. You want a tent? I'll give you a tent. You want it all? I'll give it all. But you said, well, the house, I don't want to tithe. I'm not tithe. Okay, then don't want to, but do it. A lady came to me not long ago after a service I preached out west, and she said, Dr. Hiles, she said, you said every Christian ought to be a witness. She said, I am the shyest person in the whole world. And I said, okay, then when you go out soul winning, say, do you know if you die, you go to heaven. But she said, I'm timid. I said, then suck your thumb while you go soul winning. You go to hell. But do it. Why? Because God said do it. That's why. Obey him as Lord. Do what he says. He says, do something you don't want to do it. Do it. Not his will, not your will, but his. Not what you want to do, but what he wants you to do. Not where you want to go, where he wants you to go. And then that will brighten life and give you the fuller life. But there's yet a fuller place. And that's when you come to the place where you crown him as king. And you say, dear Lord, now I want to do it. Blessed be God. I can't wait till the collection plates pass. And I can't wait to give and give. And I can't wait to pray. And I want to pray. And I want to read my Bible. And I want to talk to God. And I want to serve God. And I want to be what God wants me to be. Then you have, you've come to know him as the Lord Jesus Christ. May I ask you in closing three questions? Have you accepted him as Savior? If you die today, would you go to heaven? Second question. If you have accepted Him as Savior, do you obey Him as Lord? Do you do whatever He says to do? Third question. If you obey Him as Lord, have you ever crowned Him as King? Have you ever come to the place to where you said, He's the King of my life? Yesterday I got thinking about this song. Now I've given to Jesus everything. Now I gladly own him as my king. Now my raptured soul can only sing of Calvary. I couldn't understand it. I couldn't understand it. When I walked in that old building over there almost 14 years ago, looked around, nothing in that building was like Jack Hiles. I don't mean to be critical of the building. It was a beautiful building, but it was sort of it's spooky to me. Down in Texas, we didn't have stained glass windows much in church buildings. And remember the big dome we had up there at the top? Beautiful, beautiful dome. But it wasn't like me. Now, me, I'm, I'm sort of a Celotex fella. I'm sort of a block fella. Uh, square is what you're going to say. Uh, I, uh, I mean, I, 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 like, I, I like things that are pretty, but, but, but it just didn't fit me. And uh, so I went in the auditorium, looked around, and I thought, I'm pastor of this place. Remember those old chairs we used to have on the platform? Tall, straight-back chairs. Jehoshaphat sat on that chair years ago. I'm not being critical. It just wasn't me. This is me right here. Uh, not a big... And I couldn't get comfortable. The chair was, was like that, straight up. And I slant a little bit, you know. And, uh, and 
I just never could get rid of And I sat on the chair, and nothing was comfortable. And I said, why, this is not me. And I can't understand why you sent me up here. I'm a Texan. Texas born and Texas bred. And when I died, I thought I'd be Texas dead. I wanted my, my body to turn to dust, not to soot. And here I am up here in the Chicago area. I went to the office and I saw a bunch of cards. I didn't know what they were. I thought they must be prospect cards. So I grabbed them and took off soul winning. Went over here on Detroit Street. Never had been on Detroit Street in my life. Went down to, I think it's 509 or, no, 517 maybe, Detroit Street. Knocked on the door of Sarah Perky's mother, Mrs. Mrs. Seibert. She came to the door. She was going to, she, she was going to go down to the Civic Center or something. I forget exactly what. She was busy, didn't have time to listen. And I began to cry. And I told her through the screen door how to be saved. And there with my hand on the screen door. She didn't seem interested at all. I didn't think she was even near getting saved. Had my hand on the screen door. Talked to her through the screen. It was August. And I said, Dear Lord, I pray you'd help Miss Seibert to be saved. And I felt a tear, a warm tear on that hand. But well, there were only two of us there. So I had to figure out whose tear it was. But I know that tears don't go out that way. So I figured it wasn't mine. But the process of elimination, I gathered it must be hers. When that tear hit my hand, I knew the Holy Spirit that was in Texas was up here too. And she was saved. I came back to this church, looked up that dome up in the top, and that's the prettiest dome I ever saw in my life. I sat down in this chair. That's the nicest chair I'd ever seen in my life. You know why? Because the same Holy Spirit that was in Texas was here. And now after 14 years, it's so easy to see. Oh, my. Dr. Billings, the thousands of churches and preachers that would never have been influenced if I had not obeyed him as Lord. I went out to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, Friday night. fellow met me at the airport. I thought he was Art Snyder. That's how awful he talked. <laughs> you know, any of you know <laughs> I can't even do it, thank God. But... Uh, I, he said, uh, I'm the pastor, Pastor uh, Cass Santos. And I said, uh, where are you from? He said, New York City. New York City. I said, good night. Didn't know, can any good thing come out of New York City? And uh, he told me a story. He told me how that he, was, he started a church, left New York City, and started a church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and how that nothing was going right. And how that, that, that they couldn't get anybody to come and hear him preach. And the first year we had the pastor school, he drove all the way from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And 167 people showed up that year. And he, I guess he slept up in the, upstairs, one of those Sunday school classrooms on the, uh, in Miller Hall above the offices. And I can still see 167 men lined up with their shavers and toilet articles and towels draped around them, waiting to use the one restroom they had on that floor. And, uh, and he came that, that year. And he began to weep, and he said, Dr. Hiles, he said, I came back home, and my ministry was transformed. Oh, he said, Dr. Hiles, he said, my people said I wasn't the same. And he said, I've been three times now. And he said, my people, they wanted to meet you because, because uh, they call you. The preacher got our pastor converted. And uh, I walked in. He was dedicating a new building. He asked me to come preach. And I walked in. 
There was a beautiful building with a baptistry right up here and a cross right there. And one, two, three, four, a, a balcony went all the way around like this. And a circular type auditorium with six K-beams, just like we have. Same thing exactly. And, uh, and built the same thing. And he said, my ministry is transformed. Oh, he said, Dr. Hiles, you'll never know. You'll never know the thousands of preachers and churches who've been transformed because of the First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana. Now, I can understand it now. It wasn't easy to obey him as Lord, but it was best. God's way is the best way. And if you want to have a life that's full and happy on this earth, first, you accept him as Savior. Second, you obey him as Lord. Third, crown him as King. His power can make you what you ought to be. His love can fill your soul and you will see what's best for him to have his way with thee. Let us pray. Thank you for listening. And if you like this, please subscribe and consider liking my Facebook page and joining my group, Jesus Answers Prayer. May God bless your day. Hello, we are Mark and Pearl Lambert, and we are the ministers of Jesus Answers Prayers. If you like this ministry, please help support it. The link to donate is found in the description below. Thank you and God bless.